Hello, and welcome back to Throwdown, an action cinema podcast where we take you through every decade and every corner of the world of action cinema. I am Vaughn. I'm here with my co-host, Jack. Jack, hunting season is over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this movie. Hard, hard target. This is hard target week. Yes. We're doing our first not one, franchise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Our first throwdown double feature. Hard Target is is a, an institution in and of itself. It's a it's a classic John Woo movie, but it's his first American movie or first English language movie, I should yeah. say. So, what's your history with John Woo as an action director? Obviously, one of my favorite action directors. Um, I guess maybe an interesting choice of me to to pick Hard Target as our first coverage of John Woo. <laughs> yeah. but, um, I think like most people, I started with Hard Boiled uh, a few mm. years back um, when I was first starting to really get into action movies, and then kind of spiraled off from there. And, and watching his mo- watched a lot of his like more popular Hong Kong stuff first, mm-hmm. um, like A Better Tomorrow, and um, now of course I'm I'm blanking on. Um, some of his films and then I moved to the American stuff kind of because I think the general consensus and attitude towards a lot of his American films is that they are much lesser mm-hmm. than than his Hong Kong output and when I finally started getting into his American stuff I was surprised at how much I disagreed with that I yeah. think a lot of his American stuff is is totally on par. I think it's interesting, like the the landscape he was working in in Hong Kong, like originally working with uh, Orange Sky Golden Harvest, doing sort of the the, the classic time tested Hong Kong action dramas, you know, set in sort of uh, old sort of monasteries and monks going yeah. on adventures and things like that. Um, Hand of Death, and uh, he has another one called Last Hurrah for Chivalry, mm-hmm. which is I think is absolutely fantastic. But it's yeah, interesting it's to see him sort of take that gun fu idea and sort of hone it and sort of really give it an identity and give it an uh, give it a voice. You can't really watch a lot of modern action movies if there's you know guns and action choreography up the wazoo. You can't help but think of John Woo just because of the way he presents action in movies like a better tomorrow or the killer or hard-boiled there's there's such like ritual textural dna that's been implanted in the way that movies are made especially action movies so when he moved to america to work in uh, english language movies a lot of that translates really really well um, so when we have movies like Hard Target, or even things like Face Off, like Face Off is, yeah, is its own beast that we'll probably cover in some regard in the future. <laughs> but um, each each of his English language movies, I'd say, has s- something different to offer, but like very well rooted and in his typical gunfu style. And we should say we're doing this sort of double feature to celebrate the fact that John Woo has a new movie out at the time of recording. I still can't see it here in the UK, but That's you've so seen it. I have. And I was, you have seen it. I was a big fan of Silent Night. I think mm-hmm. it's. I think it's great. I think I can understand why most people do not like it. Um, sure. But I think, especially as a huge fan of Wu's work, it feels like uh, a lot more of like a kind of a reflection on the genres that he kind of pioneered. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a a deconstruction of that heroic bloodshed stuff. Uh, and I think it's very cool. I was I've started writing my what is probably going to turn into a very long review, mostly just about <laughs> John Woo as a director. But um, cool. my, my piece on on Silent Night. Um, but my 
my main idea with that piece was kind of just that, like you said, that that kind of in modern action, all roads lead to John Woo. It's kind of, mm. he, is, he is very much the kind of grandfather of a lot of that stylization that we see in, in modern action. And he is definitely a key influence for most of these new directors, like Chad Stahelski, who is now doing the, uh, yeah. the John Wick films. It's all It all comes from the way that, that Wu designs things. And it's interesting to see how much of that is in Hard Target as a first American feature. So so coming off the back of Hard Boiled the year before, I think. So going from Hard Boiled straight to Hard Target, which are vastly different movies, but have so yeah. much of the same energy and some of the same ideas and how they're actually like executed. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting back-to-back because... And I think I can certainly understand why you would see hard target off the back of hard boiled and be like well this is so much lesser and that it's not like Mm -hmm. this constant barrage of these giant action set pieces because at the time in hong kong you could kind of get away with doing whatever you wanted and then you move to hollywood (laughs) and oh look at that there's rules and i have to (laughs) kind of abide by a little bit more uh supervision from you know the studio and stuff like that yeah i think what he gets accomplished is is still very very woo and it's still very impressive and those set pieces are still phenomenal usually he's working with script supervisors and producers in in hong kong but now he's pretty much fish out of water in this in this production and he's brought been brought on because of his legacy of crafting like these bombastic action movies so like the the movie itself feels a little different largely because of that language barrier so like the, the script itself comes from uh, a, an ex-Navy SEAL, Chuck Farah, who had written um, Navy SEALs, the Charlie Sheen movie, as well as okay. parts of Sam Raimi's Dark Man, which I thought was very interesting. I did not um, know that. So this was originally a studio pitch, and it was lined up for the director Andrew Davis, who had done a couple of Steven Seagal movies, which makes a lot of sense. That does so make a lot done- of sense. Under Siege and Above the Law, um, and uh, The Fugitive. The Fugitive was his really, really big one. Um, so, but then once they'd brought on uh, Jean Claude Van Damme, who we'll we'll get into because that's a whole different ballpark, really. <laughs> like, not only is this a John Woo movie, this is a Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Oh, very those, much, are, yeah. those are two very different and um, interesting things in their own regard. So it was. They were brought on uh, this this screenplay, which was very much a reworking of the most dangerous game, which is a very a sort of classic tale of you yeah. know, man hunting man for sport, and a lot of hard target keeps the DNA of that, but sort of morphs it into a more espionage mode of action adventure story. It's interesting that like he moved to doing this this film in the West for the first time, and it very much is is coded as like a western. You've got this uh, mm. this kind of dusty trench coat wearing lone drifter who uh, is in New Orleans and kind of stumbles his way into this this personal conflict that he has to solve and kind of root out the the villainy of this town. The town being yeah. New Orleans, of course. <laughs> He's very much, yeah, that, that constantly wet hair, slick back mullet drifter who just happens yeah. upon this this story already in motion. He's very much the man with no name who is just like a hired hand to help um, this woman find her missing father and gets caught up in a, in a, in a larger, larger window of things. So yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme I want to talk about because this yes. might have been the first time I laid eyes on Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, he's really? a very interesting, very interesting human to see for the first time, <laughs> especially because in this movie he looks 
like nothing else like he doesn't really look like like this again or before in any of his movies he has such a bespoke mulleted look and he's still rocking that incredibly thick accent that it creates this otherworldly character that shouldn't really exist in a new orlean right um, adventure (laughs) he feels yeah like misplaced in a way that i kind of love it's, it's it's an interesting era of action films this this kind of 80s and 90s american mm-hmm. stuff that was the the leading action stars were all from around the world and so they're always played as these all american heroes but they're yeah. they've got these thick accents you know like arnold it's the same as arnie and, yeah, yeah exactly you just play, take it as red you just sort of take it for granted like the amount of arnie movies i saw and you just you barely even notice that he's right. talking with the thickest accent because he is just such a part of pop culture now as well but yeah jcvd is such a a great hero i think he's fantastic in in this film i think this is mm-hmm. one of his better at least acting performances um in hard target here um most of his uh films obviously he's he's got great um chops for the action but mm-hmm. sometimes the uh the performance itself is a little bit lacking but i think he he mixes the two quite well here yeah i think he's quite good here quite subdued i think there is. I was reading up on the uh, on the production history, and he was interfering with um, the the sort of way Wu wanted to present this character by just sort of making him less of a straightforward action hero, um, and Wu wanted to try and make him a bit more dramatically enhanced, have a bit more nuance and emotion to the performance, but. John Claude Van Damme has come off this 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 sort of like history of just kind of playing the same sort of one note. Yeah. Um, heroes which is what he's good at you know he's kind of like a physical physical presence first and an, an emotional actor second right so i do think he's a little stunted throughout the whole thing but i think he he fits the world of the movie really really well like this this new orleans that constantly consists of like rocking guitars and southern drawls and and dusters and uh, warehouse fights i think at him as this sort of stoic silent type or not silent but sort of like cool calm and collected he's always sort of got yeah. together a plan or a sort of a, a way of out of things he's never really emotionally contrived or really like despairing he seems to have a plan at all points and i i quite like that as a a jcvd vehicle yeah so do i i think it plays pretty perfectly against the villains he's up against who are these kind of lawless villains who are just Mm -hmm. like they don't care about anything they're killing people in the streets and i think it works well to have this no-nonsense hero who doesn't really have time for anything but stopping these guys and and solving the kind of mystery that uh, is happening in the background yeah and we should say the antagonists are uh, headed up by lance henriksen who oh, is so such a such a great um a character actor that when he lands a, a really fun uh, antagonist role he can really start chewing into it i think he's he's got such a distinct face a distinct look and he often lands on the side of evil and especially in these genre films i think he he brings a lot of gravitas to what are sometimes very silly sort of scenarios yeah he plays it so seriously even though it is you know deeply silly i think he definitely counterbalances some of the silliness by by how he he plays that role and how serious he is about uh everything he's got set up in his whole operation and kind of finding these lawless places throughout the world to set up shop and and do his his most dangerous game business a very hammy villain and it's a very sort of overstated villain role like he's just 
exudes nothing but sort of evil personality traits. He has like a villainous piano solo yes. at one point. He's constantly sort of d- undermining his goons and henchmen and he's always sort of cursing JCVD's name because he's always getting in the way and towards that that end fight showdown he's just oh he's really sort of chewing on those scenery Arnold Vosloo is his main henchman is so fantastic yes, too yeah he's always a, a fun character actor who pops up in yeah. things and his character name Peak Van Cleef is, <laughs> is a really tasty oh, it's perfect, name yeah. I think yeah the design of all of those those characters I think adds to sort of the the richness of the world so much like everything even though it is this very straightforward like modern day New Orleans tale it's like there there's so much specificity in all of those characters that they really stand out and it doesn't it's not like they're cartoonish but mm-hmm. you know you you give them all these very specific costume designs and you've got Lance Henriksen with his his one bullet pistol that he has and all these little ridiculous things thing. that, a ridiculous it's very thing ridiculous but <laughs> <laughs> it works well when you're the the head and all your henchmen have the machine guns you just need one mm-hmm. bullet lot of motorbikes in this movie and i like how john woo uses vehicles almost as weapons and yes. as acts of action in them in and of themselves as a lot of motorcycle chases and a lot of highway action that is just presented in such a clean knit way i think he he adds that to his like tool belt of things he can bring to movies and we'll see that again in hard target 2 which we'll talk about later just this idea of using sort of vehicles as momentum and using them to sort of act as different weapons on screen yeah, he's done a great job with that sort of vehicular violence in in all of his more modern films, um, mm. and I think that's one of his great flourishes. And there's tons of great like motorcycle and car stuff in Hard Boiled as well. But like, I, I do love how he uses that in in Hard Target, and it's basically exclusively the the motorcycle action that he's got. But mm-hmm. I guess he's also got some horseback action as well in this one. Well, that's the thing. A motorbike is just an electronic horse, really. It's true. So <laughs> there's something <laughs> sleek and like really like sexy about the design of all the, the motorcycles and things, and and how they they intertwine with all the 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 over the top action set pieces. I think yeah. it really really makes a very distinct visual identity for the film. It lends itself to the setting really well, too. It's got that real, like, open-air feel and, and racing around these big, open, dusty spaces in the, in New Orleans. And you've got that, that big motorbike sequence that the film kind of builds to. It's just so spectacular. And you've got that, that one amazing moment of him standing on top of the motorcycle and yeah. sending it as a bomb, essentially, into the, <laughs> into the enemies. Yeah, that highway motorbike sequence is so so very good. A lot of coverage and a lot of a lot of coverage specifically of Jean Claude Van Damme and how he's moving his body in different ways to take control of this scenario and you know come out on top. Yeah, I think that's the the thing about when you know you move to these American productions is that like a lot of these action stars were kind of had these very specific like signature flourishes that they kind of did. And I think he utilizes that really well. I think like a lot of that Hong Kong stuff, like I don't think of Chow Yun-Fat as having a specific um, kind of Mm. martial arts thing that he does or anything like that. But when you think of, you know, JCVD, you think of these very specific kind of like gymnastic um, Mm -hmm. things that he's capable of. And I think it's, it's great that he's able to fully utilize that. And you've got like so many great sequences where he utilizes the, 
his ability to kick is is very much highlighted oh, yeah. in this film. <laughs> he, he is very much all legs in this movie. A lot of spin kicks. He uses the length of his legs as yeah. weapons. It's, it's always so unnecessary, as, as... but it's so perfect. Like, yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, you don't you don't want to see this man flail his arms about. You want to see him use what exactly. God gave him and <laughs> what God gave him are just like these like six foot long legs that he can turn into like jousting weapons. He's really really good with them. And obviously there's there's so many movies and so many gifs online of him doing splits and just showing yeah. off that sort of gymnastic athleticism that you're talking about there, that it makes sense that he, his primary weapon is just his legs. Yeah, I love he's like kicking guns out of people's hands. I like that there's several times where he will shoot someone and then kick them in the head. Like that's <laughs> yeah. a necessary flourish that he's got to add just to take them down. <laughs> but I love that that whole final sequence that it builds to. Like you, I think you look at the first two acts of the film and it does mm. feel pretty distinct from a lot of Wu's Hong Kong output. But I think that third act is like just full-on like <laughs> John Woo intensity and chaos and I think the moment you meet Wilford Brimley who is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal in this film it just becomes Uncle, like Uncle explosions Duvet. and chaos oh he's so yeah. great just so this you, rambling yeah. Cajun madman with his bow and arrow living out in the sticks working in on his little <laughs> lab warehouse thing it, it makes a great sort of like tertiary location just yeah. because a lot of this happens in a city and then to take it out into into the wilderness, and then you you have JCVD running around and smashing snakes in the head, which makes like for top tier out of context gif posting. Like the amount of times I've seen that gif <laughs> way before I saw this movie, I've just been like, why is this man just beating like pummeling this snake on the head? There's, and then there's using so many it great as, like, moments a, like that. A booby trap to bite right. down. And- <laughs> It's it's so <laughs> ridiculously conceived that I, I have to admire it. Yeah, it's so silly, but it also like perfectly fits the the premise of like if you're hunting down men in you know these kind of desolate mm. spaces and these woodland areas to for him to be able to utilize to the best of his ability like the the nature that is around him as silly as it is it's like okay this guy he's he's capable of anything he can he can smack a snake and weaponize its venom (laughs) (laughs) but what you're saying about the first like sort of two acts there is um yeah there's a bit more of like uh a a slower pace there's a a level of lethargic attitude towards the storytelling there just because they are trying to get into the the nuts and bolts of the mystery at hand yeah. basically working out about about this missing father trying to work on that relationship um that emotional relationship between the characters there but as we march towards that third act as you said we do get all out woo that warehouse that's being used to store like mardi gras parades acts as such like a a carnivalesque backdrop to that final boss it's so fight perfect. it's such yeah. a, a wonderful set dressing yeah, I absolutely love that that final set piece. The design is so colorful and cool and creative. Like it's something that I don't think I've ever seen before or since in anything like mm-hmm. that kind of specific set piece. And it's also not just like Wu's so great about knowing the space that he's in and really utilizing every corner of that space. You know, like you you see all these strange kind of costumes and props and things in this warehouse and they're not just there to look cool like they're also all end up kind of being used and they're part of Mm -hmm. the action and you know things are falling down and exploding and he has this incredible knack for just kind of this 
this perfect design of he knows exactly where everything is moving and going to and coming from and it all comes together and the way that everyone moves through that space and, and each moment is just like brilliant to me. One thing I found rewatching this is that I, I think John Woo, um, more than some other directors, has a stigma against him that he uses a lot of slow motion. And rewatching this, I was like, there isn't that much slow motion in this, but when he does use it, I think he uses it to great effect. For Absolutely. example, I, I watched. I'm slowly catching. I think I'm now caught up on all the Zack Snyder movies that I hadn't seen before. Oh no! I watched. I watched Army of the Dead, and my God, that is a man with a fetish for slow mo that is just oh overly done. And like half the movie is just bad slow mo action scenes. So thinking back about Hard Target and how it uses it to sort of um, like put a certain sequence on a pedestal and just sort of showcase what a, a wild achievement it is to yeah. have put this and committed it to film rather than just overly using it and having every part of your your movie be the cool part like i like how he uses it almost as sort of almost like a highlight reel almost just to sort of like solidify your attention just be like look at this look at this series of movements look at this look at this human achievement yeah it's very much it's a difference between it's not just kind of a commitment purely to aesthetic like Snyder does, which is not necessarily mm. a bad thing, but it does become overbearing and Irritating. unnecessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Wu, when he uses it, it is to specifically highlight a very specifically designed moment. And I think that when you are able to see something like that in that that slow motion view, it's like you're able to really pick apart the 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 emotion of the scene and be like, oh, this is something that's actually happening. Like when it's these kind of fast-paced sequences, then it's easy to be like, oh, well, that they probably just did that with, you know, visual effects or mm-hmm. they might have designed it this specific way or how did they mask that? But when you're able to slow it down and really forefront it, it's easy to be like, oh, well, this is an actually impressive stunt that they have really pulled off. But yeah, he says a lot of tricks um, until that end sort of Mardi Gras warehouse fight. Again, Jean-Claude Van Damme is, is throwing out a lot of wild roundhouse kicks. Um, but there is a lot of pistol action where he's using his pistol yeah. upside down and pumping <laughs> the trigger on that. And a ton of excellently placed squibs and blood packs just really, oh, so many squibs. really hammering it. home just sort of the, the practical nature of the action here. There is nothing like... Um, uh, a practical squib on a body. It just it just it's sells the, the magic of yeah. the movies every single time. Uh, we'll talk about it in next episode as well. But there's uh, there's just something magical about seeing fake blood spur out of a man pretending to be shot. That's just yeah. Uh, there's theater, there's no way that's, to that's to recreate that look, no matter how hard you try digitally. I think you can get no close get in some me. ways, but there's just mm. there's no way to because there's an impact to it too. You know that yeah, there's just you can't. It, can't make that happen that that physical impact that comes with it there's a tactility um, of being and yeah. like the timing as well like you know when to fall down because the squib is going to go off right. whereas when you're doing that in a digital thing was like oh we'll do it in post it's just you falling down and then yeah. them trying to pinpoint the best moment to place a final cut effect or you know some after effects nonsense but yeah just seeing a chest blow out in real time is just always <laughs> satisfying in one of these movies oh very much so i think before we uh, move on to the, the mm. sequel here, I will note my. I think this has one of my favorite like final villain moments, just in anything generally. Is is the demise of Lance Henriksen yes. finding his the the grenade in his his pocket <laughs> and just that final oh and then it, that, like, yeah. the explosion is. Just, I 
I see that pop up on Twitter all the time in those like threads, like post the best villain knows he's wrong moment. <laughs> just him with the grenade. Yeah. Oh. So good. <laughs> like he's not disappointed. He's kind of just like genuinely surprised at the fact. Yeah. He's sort of accepting his own faith. He's not disappointed. He's not bitter that he's lost. He's just genuinely like, oh, that's how you're going to. Yeah, it's very much a moment of like, oh, I, I finally don't have the upper hand and this is the end. <laughs> it is It is a perfect ending to that. But yeah, hunting season is over. Or is it? Because <laughs> 23 years later, <laughs> many moons later, we are brought Hard Target 2, directed by Roel Renee, starring our man Scott Adkins. And we watched this together at the beginning of the year. Yes, we did. Sort of like, reluctantly, like we'd seen the averages on Letterboxd, and like, if you, if you haven't heard about an action sequel, there's probably a reason but we we sat down and watched it and i had I had a really really good time with that film so we've decided to bring it to the podcast as this as this double feature and as a bit of homework i went a little deeper into the career of yes. director role renee just to sort of like find a bit of footing just work out what why he works in the way he works why right. he seems yeah, to be yeah. attracted or like lumped with an, uh, an absolute arsenal of direct <laughs> to video sequels like this man is just mr sequel so i'll read off some of his credits before we get into um hard target 2 i'm very uh, interested he is a dutch director netherlands born director his first theatrical feature in 99 1999 the delivery won the golden calf for best director which i'm told is kind of like the dutch equivalent of an academy award it's quite a prestigious thing over there but looking on letterbox like i don't know less than 100 people have seen this it just seems to be a bit of a buried thing but worked okay <laughs> worked on a couple projects over there it's fallen out Landed, of favor um, a movie called pistol whipped from 2008 with steven seagal which i feel very much sets up the template oh. and sets up the aesthetic of the type of movies he's going to go and work on because um at that point even seagal is way past it this is 2008 seagal has become infamous at this point for being sort of like a uh, a phone it in let's make a, a strange oh lance henriksen's in that movie of course he is right. maybe i'll watch it but <laughs> steven seagal at this point has kind of passed his past <laughs> heyday sort of phoning it in um which i feel like that's the stigma a lot of dtv movies have are uh, if it's a lower budget it's sort of like a tax write-off fraud thing <laughs> like there must be some sort of thing which we right. get out of this rather than to create genuine art in action movies but there's something that draws me to the films of Roll Renee because I see past that sort of like cash grab curtain, even if he is directing Death Race 2, Death Race 3, yeah. The Marine 2, The Scorpion King 3, <laughs> um, Hard Target 2, always lumped with these sequels. I can find there is something within those films. They are working on a fraction of the budget. They're working in the fraction of the time and he can deliver... Right. practical shot on location action sequences that have heft and weight to them like i didn't particularly love the scorpion king 3 but i sat there and was like i can i can feel some artistry here i enjoy the performances <laughs> i like how this is all practical shot on location right. it feels like a well realized world it feels interesting yeah to see through the kind of the this the, the cheap sequel crap that uh, there is some, there's so something there like he directed the man with the iron fist 2 which i wasn't very hot on but i'm a big fan of that first film but reading on an interview he says he tries to remain faithful 
to whatever the source material was whilst trying to take it in a different direction. So, um, as a quote here, in, I'm, in movies like Man with the Iron Fist 2, Rizza had created a brand, and I wanted to respect the brand, the brand he created in the same world and the same style. And the same goes for Hard Target 2. I wanted to create an homage to Jean Wu. That's what, that's what you do with most movies. You speak within a genre and within that world. But for the most part, these are their own movies that aren't dictated by their predecessors. I like that he sort of tips the hat to John Wu and be like, okay, Hard Target, it's a great movie. John yeah. Wu, fantastic action director. For some reason, I have been given the opportunity to expand that universe, expand that right. idea, <laughs> work with this brand, and create something that, whilst not wholly... Um, like a clone copy of John Woo certainly tips the hat whilst taking it in its own distinct direction. Um, yeah, definitely. And then, as my final piece of homework, I realized he'd worked on a Marvel MCU project, which I had never heard of. I'd seen my brother yeah. had given it one star on Letterbox, and I was like, well, well, now I'm going to have to watch this. And my God, oh, nice. I, I, I hope he got paid some, some money for this because it was a slog. It was like a really, really bad x-men slash eternals pastiche that was like it is basically a, a glorified Ooh. tv pilot for a show that i don't think anyone really watched but yeah that was uh. in humans the first chapter and oh it was rough and then recently 2022 he had a movie with Iko Uwe, which I think I watched on Netflix, and there's there's some good stuff in there but the whole project as a whole is just uh, a just, mess. <laughs> I I just know he can do something more. Right. I know he can. I know he can give me something better than this. It's got a really messy framework. Okay. Um, just like a really bad like dubstepy score, oh, which no. feels like ten years yeah. out of date. But there is some really good action choreography there. But role running as a whole, I think, I think Hard Target Two for me is going to be what I what I try and point people towards when I when I try to talk about this man just because it does what he set out to do he wants to create an homage to jean Wu by yeah. taking it in a different space and i think that's codified from the very opening of the movie where it literally begins with um the cooing of doves yes. in a bird there are cage, a lot of doves in this and movie. then it introduces another bird that i'm not familiar with <laughs> so it segues <laughs> from these from these doves a very john wooey sort of uh, visual ident and moves into a, a different bird that you've not seen before and i thought that was a perfect summarization of just being like yeah. you know you know what i'm working with but i'm going to try and give you something different <clears throat> the familiar woo ideas with something fresh and exciting so what do you think about hard target 2 I think Hard Target 2 is awesome. I really liked it. I, I had a great time watching it with you. It was kind of the same thing where I didn't have many expectations going in. It was kind of just like, we both love Hard Target and we both love mm -hmm. Scott Adkins. Why wouldn't we watch this? The, so let's exactly. check it out. And yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised with how much fun this movie is. And it, it is definitely... It's very distinctly different. It's not any in any yeah. way really a direct continuation of the original film. It, it I mean, not it's at all. Made twenty three years later, doesn't ever reference the original film or anything like that. <laughs> no, um, no. It is by, by, by like by name only and by reputation only, really. Yeah, pretty much. So S Scott Adkins plays Wes Baylor, who is a an ex MMA fighter who accidentally killed his sparring partner slash best friend mm -hmm. in the ring. 
and he moves to Thailand, kind of like Rambo in the 2008 movie, and does a bunch of oh, underground God. fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I've said before, I'll say it again. Every good Scott Atkins movie starts with him playing a fighter of some sort <laughs> in universe. I love it when he plays a fighter. <laughs> he always it's it's very familiar, definitely. But yeah, mm-hmm. he he moves to uh, to Southeast Asia and he's doing some underground fighting, kind of a very basic setup. And then he's approached by uh, a man with a shady organization who tells him he's mm-hmm. going to pay him a million dollars for one big fight, and it turns out that he is going to be hunted by a bunch of people who paid to hunt him. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the only connection with the first hard target, is they take that most dangerous yeah. game aspect and but it's expand much more, on it a bit. Yeah, it's much more direct this time, where the first film was more like about people that have that business. It's like, this is like, you are being hunted, try to survive. Exactly. That first film was about the, the mystery surrounding why are these like homeless veterans yeah. being hunted for sport, whereas this is very much a Hunger Games scenario of you are committing to watching two hours of a man being hunted for sport, and we're going to work out if he's going to get out of this alive, or however this is going to play out. Yeah, and it's 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 great. I really yeah had very few expectations going in, but it is it is a great ride. It's much more focused, I think, on the kind of that sort of DTV hand-to-hand martial arts action mm-hmm. um, than the original film because obviously you don't have the the budget here for big set pieces and giant explosions and stuff like that. So you kind of got to get the most out of filming in a jungle and <laughs> what can you do with uh, just a couple like, of actors on a screen. A very streamlined project, a very streamlined shoot. Uh, I was reading an interview with Roll Rene. And he said the original hard target was shot just under 70 days and here we're shooting inside three weeks. Oof, and yeah. he always comes comes to these productions with it all mapped out, ready to go in his head. Oh, so yeah. they do not have time to waste. So when he can hit the ground running and just get this thing um, completely nailed. And like it doesn't feel like it was shot necessarily in like no. such a rush because I feel like a lot of the, the action set pieces and a lot of the the um as you said, the hand to hand stuff in between, it all feels very well rehearsed and well staged yeah. and well yeah. choreographed. And there's so much versatility in this film as well, which I which I always respect from a DTV movie that is committing so much to action. If we're gonna have you know, near you know, I don't know, eighty minutes worth of fighting footage and action footage to to keep that interesting, to give you a variety, rather than just having the same warehouse shoots or the same right. sort of backyard brawls. Um, I think a lot of that is down to the the on location production as well. Like this film looks really cool just because the environment you're yeah. working in is as a genuine tactile space, and through that you have a, a variety of. Um, of places to work with and, uh, and ideas to to actually pull off during your action sequences yeah i think definitely you you lose out on that a lot with these kind of dtv sequels they're just kind of often shot in these very like vague unspecified locations you've got just maybe a warehouse to shoot a big set piece in or something like that but this is like we actually have a a giant giant empty jungle to shoot in and, and we're going to mm. use that to full effect and they get We've a got lot of mileage box. out of that. We've got a sandbox. Yeah. And we have our toys. We've got loads of motorbikes. We've yes, got we do. <laughs> we've got we've got some pretty fun like character actors as well. So we mentioned earlier the guy who's orchestrating the whole thing is uh, Robert Nepper, who is most probably most known for Prison Break, or at least I know him from Prison oh, okay. Break. I'm not but super he pops familiar in, with him. 
Pope pops up in Twin Peaks The Return as well. He's always like a, a decent slime ball uh, of, a, of a character actor. And then we have um, Temu Mura Morrison, who pops up in a surprising amount of um, Roll Rene movies. I, 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 what, this week I, I saw him in Scorpion King 3, The Marine 2, and Hard Target 2. But obviously, most notably, um, he plays uh, is it Jan- Django Fett in those Star Wars prequels and uh, the, clo- the Clone Wars or whatever. But yeah, he oh he's in is he some of those Aquamans? I think he's the, is he Aqua Dad? I think he's Jason Momoa's dad. Not seen the Aquaman, maybe? but that would make have sense you not? as well. Interesting. I think I'm pretty sure he's in that. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, just like a nice staple of character actors to pepper this this world. But so much of the the um, the focus is on just the mixed martial arts main course which is obviously scott adkinson's complete bag i think he just completely comes into his own during those moments yeah. um, but the wider more bombastic almost woo esque um like explosions and vehicle manslaughter yeah. nonsense that's all <laughs> it's all really really well staged and presented yeah, it is. i think yeah, I think it's it's much less focused, definitely, on the the kind of specific plot or narrative of it. Um, I think it's it's smart enough to know that that's not going to be the strong suit here. So it's much more focused on just survival and action, um, and it's got kind of this this subplot um, about the the village that has been displaced by these this military outfit that is taking over the jungle to hunt people, and you get a little bit out of that. It's not the most compelling um but um mm. i think the the action more than makes up for it i really like that's that, the thing that adkins here i feel like is is doing his best to kind of embody the the jcv jcvd style um and he he does a great job of it there's a fantastic scene where he uh kicks two people off of motorcycles at the same time which feels extremely uh van damme to me which is a a great sequence but there's definitely a lot of a lot of kicks in here as well yeah they might be more like grapply focused kicks rather than uh, the cleaner lines of a john claude van damme kick right but yeah he's sort of embodying the idea of a a john claude van damme or like an action type from that bygone era but the whole film at large is a is very understanding of what it's what it's trying to do and how it's going to do it it understands that it's not going to be able to weave such a com- like uh, captivating narrative yeah. even though the first hard target movie doesn't have that much of a a strong emotional core that runs through it here it is very much putting more of its eggs in the action basket and trying to deliver that the visual splendor that you get from a woo right. film and not necessarily the heroic bloodshed like emotional core of of certain woo movies yeah there's no no mystery to solve no uh nothing to really uh get to the to the bottom of it's just kind of like here's your hero here's your villain and let's go and i think that works pretty well i think that's kind of the the perfect mark for this kind of dtv stuff is is knowing that don't like punch up and try to be a blockbuster that you can't afford to be with your budget and also don't just you know Mm. not being lazy and kind of submitting to yeah we have no budget and this is cheap and we're just going to kind of get it out and get it done and who cares you know it's it is the perfect amount of self-aware effort into what you can accomplish with this kind of budget and this kind of positioning. Which is, I, I, I'd imagine, why Roll Rene got the the reputation of just being that sequel journeyman, of just being able to take the source material and do something with it that is not necessarily the same 
but doesn't quite tread on its toes it takes it in a different direction right. and is always way under budget or like completely um costs the fraction of the budget of the, the original film and can do it inside a three-week period i'd be interesting to see what more like original stuff he does like i i'm looking at his credits now and he does have more original credits in the past couple of years um he has a movie this year which i think is a dutch um action movie or a dutch drama but that um, Fistful of Vengeance from t- 2022, was, I thought was a little bit of a letdown just because it was a, a bit undercooked for me and or a bit a bit awkward around the edges. But I want to see what this man can do given given what he can do with source material and like how he right. skews it in a different way. I'd like to see what, what he can bring um, to future action movies. Like, link him up with Scott Adkins again and like craft a Scott Adkins original not necessarily set off the back of something else I think he's a he's a very capable and like a, a very good journeyman action director he's no John Woo but he's not like he's not trying he's, to be I've either a you lot know? Of yeah, he's, he's, he's not he's trying doing his own thing and, either, yeah, exactly. he's, I think he's at least here uh, and I have not seen any of his other work but definitely at least Hard Target mm-hmm. 2 he, uh, he is very successful in, in carving out his own style for, for something like this yeah, so that's that's Hard Target and Hard Target 2. I love these movies. I love these movies for different reasons. I think they're working in different realms of action cinema. Um, I think as a first venture into American filmmaking, Hard Target for John Woo is a, is a very interesting work. Um, it's a, a very exciting and a very... A very fun one that's full of ideas and melding that with Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, as he's still riding his popularity wave of the early 90s, late 80s works really, really well. And then Roll René's sequel is uh, is a staple for me of the the direct-to-video market, taking an idea and putting your own specific spin on it whilst never punching down, as you said, always sort of trying to craft something that has respect and does it with a um, like pulp there uh, is executed with such like a an ingenious action flair and trying to focus in on that as the the main selling point rather than a, an emotional drama um but yeah hard target hunting season is over <laughs> absolutely yeah love john woo love hard target we will certainly be back to talk about more john woo in the future but jack what are we going to be talking about next week christmas day christmas day we are dropping an episode on christmas day and to celebrate we will be uh the it's been talked about to death but yes die hard is a christmas movie (laughs) because it's set at christmas we'll get that argument out the way um so we're going to be revisiting a a classic a classic action movie that is set around the holiday period um we'll be talking about die hard from 1988 starring bruce willis yes we will so jack uh let's see what do we got anything to plug before we sign off here you can find more of our podcasts on thetwingeeks.com you can also find vaughn's writing and my occasional writing on thetwingeeks.com you can follow us on twitter blue sky letterboxd and anywhere else you want to find us discord or links of that are in the description and i also podcast with my good friend steven and steven has just launched the stacks.co.uk where he's going to be writing a bit more i'm going to be trying to write a bit more and we're going to be posting some stuff on there in the future i'll put a link to that in the description as well but we will join you next week christmas day ho 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 now i have a shotgun for die hard see you next week all right see you next week Jack.